Experience Start and Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Twitty, and you are listening to a new episode. On this episode of the podcast, I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Natalie Barbarisi. Natalie is a second year student in our full-time MBA class of 2023. And earlier this year, she studied abroad at HEC Paris. In this conversation, Natalie and I discuss her background, how she decided to pursue an MBA, what led her to Darden, how she decided she wanted to study abroad and her experience studying abroad at HEC Paris, and so much more. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is my interview with Natalie Barbarisi. Natalie, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. How are you doing, Brett? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Gosh, well, global traveler that you are, our listeners will put this together. How long have you been back in the U.S. since returning <laughs> returning from Paris? It's only been one week since I've returned. Wow. And readjusting, yes? Readjusting, yes. I, it's been much easier to readjust back in the United States versus going to Europe, I found. Well, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I was just mentioning this before we got started. This is actually the first conversation we've ever had on the podcast. After all these episodes, first conversation ever about studying abroad during your time at Darden. So thrilled we could have you on. And it's going to be a great conversation. Before we get there, um, tell us a little bit more about you and your background. What did you do before coming to Darden? Absolutely. So I am born and raised in Southern California, Orange County to be exact. You have to be familiar with where that is. And then I went to college in LA. I studied French and international relations. And I also studied abroad in Paris when I was a junior in college. And I share that with you because one, it was an amazing experience that I had. And two, I knew at that moment in time that I wanted to return to Paris in a graduate student capacity. So this has been something that had been a goal of mine in my 20s for about eight years as well. And so then I graduated from Pomona College in 2016. I actually did return to Paris again to intern at the U.S. Embassy in Paris in the Africa Regional Services Bureau before moving to Washington, D.C. I lived in D.C. for about five years prior to Darden, working for a technology company called Genesis and had a variety of roles in sales operations, sales strategy, and business finance. I'm extremely grateful for my time at Genesis, but I recognize that in order to be a leader, really an executive at a company, no matter what sort of industry it was, I needed to have more skills and competencies. I needed to understand what it meant to read and interpret a balance sheet, to be able to you know, forecast financial statements in order to lead a brand management campaign. I didn't have those skills and I wanted to gain them. So that was definitely reasons for which I wanted to pursue an MBA. In terms of why I chose Darden, I very much was intrigued by the case method as well, as in addition to all the general management focus that it puts on its classes, very tight-knit and close community that Darden is, and of course, it's wonderful faculty and students. So that is where I, reasons for which I chose Darden, and again, very happy and pleased with my decision. So as I listened to you tell your story, Paris kept popping up as a place where you went and obviously had an impression on you. You returned and returned uh, throughout your life. Um, and this may seem like a very obvious question with an obvious answer, uh, but what do you love about Paris? Oh, goodness. Where do I begin? 
<laughs> I love Paris uh, first and foremost because I, I speak French. And I'd say, I mean, now as an MBA student, and I've taken, I don't know, 50, 60 plus classes um, in my life, French is my favorite subject. It is something that always challenges me. I'm always learning new words and ways in which to say things. And I also love to understand people in their own language. So that comes first of the love of the language French, which I've been speaking now for 20 years and definitely consider myself to be advanced intermediate. That is where I place my level as well. And then in terms of Paris, oh goodness. I mean, it's, it's the grand sites, which I think live up to its hype, but I also find that even the smaller sites, such as the smaller museums or the smaller parks are just so wonderful and magical. And I just have really felt a sense of belonging and a real sense of fulfillment and contentment when I walk around Paris. And so, yes, you can see throughout my life, I've returned there because of just this joy and all aspects that Paris gives me when I'm there. So you mentioned you've been studying French for about 20 years at this yeah. point. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering what initially attracted you uh, to the language. I mean, when we're young people, you know, the way that school works here in the U.S., you end up taking uh, maybe less intentional choices here, but maybe some Spanish, French, totally. um, Latin, et cetera. How did, how did you decide on French? You know, it wasn't a choice. <laughs> Initially, I, in, in a very sort of odd circumstance is that the grammar school that I attended in Southern California, which you would think would teach Spanish because Mexico is right next door, uh, the grammar school only taught French. And so I was exposed to French when I was six years old at my grammar school and took it all the way through eighth grade. And then I, when I went to high school, I began to continue to you know, learn French through high school as well and had a really wonderful teacher, Dr. G, who very much inspired me and gave me a big vote of confidence at the, my senior year when he I was talking to him about struggling with French and not knowing if I'm gonna pass the AP exam. And he looked at me and he said, Natalie, not only are you going to pass the AP exam, but I have no doubt in my mind, you're going to go on to major in French. And so really with his sort of confidence, it showed me that that was possible, that I could continue this passion for that I was good enough to learn a language. And so then again, took it up Mona College as well, which had really was a wonderful experience, very much gained a lot of uh, French literature knowledge and skills. And But even that's been a number of years since I've been in college, uh, something, you know, I love to watch Netflix series in French. I read books in French as well. And just this past summer, I took a class through um, Alliance Française, which is, again, a, a French government body that gives classes out. And I practice on my slang in order to uh, get prepared for the trip. Yeah, imagine there's a difference between the French you learn in a classroom here in the U.S. and then all of a sudden you're dropped off in Paris. Oh, totally. People are not, <laughs> not speaking exactly the way you've learned it. Absolutely. You're exactly correct. You mentioned as an undergrad studying abroad uh, in France, you knew you wanted to return as a graduate student. Yes. Uh, why did you know that? It is. I always knew even even as a senior in high school, that I wanted to get some sort of master's degree. I just didn't know what it was going to be. And this comes to the fact that I'm just an intensely curious person who loves to learn and really grow myself. And so I knew when I was in Paris that I loved the academic experience. I loved being in a different 
classroom. I mean, really, the classroom dynamic with the teachers and the students is, is a bit different than I've come to the United States, but I love the difference uh, to compare, contrast the two. And so I recognize that I wanted study abroad to, again, be an important part of my master's experience. And as I got older and realized that the MBA was the right degree for me, then that was a consideration for me in my MBA search to find, again, a program that has study abroad in Paris and, of course, Darden did have that. It's so interesting to me, as I've talked with people on the podcast, we get questions for prospective students all the time about what makes a successful Darden student. And tell me, you know, is there a common attribute across Darden students that stands out? Some question like that. And, and to me, the thing that I always think about is people at Darden really love to learn. Like they really love school. And that's come through here. I think time and again on the podcast, it resonates with what you just shared about an intensely curious person that just really enjoys learning. Exactly. No, you're exactly correct. I very much identify with that sort of adjective. And it's been, I feel really lucky to have had the chance to have studied abroad in Paris and Dart has allowed me to continue this passion I have to drive it forward and expand it. Excellent. Well, let's talk about your first year at Darden. So you come, you obviously make this choice to come come to Darden, and you're here, brand new first year student. What stands out to you about that process of adjusting to being uh, in graduate business school? The first quarter was really, really difficult. <laughs> it was really hard. I will be very honest about that. Um, I given I didn't have the quant background that many of my peers did, I found it to be such a steep learning curve, the case method. And I, I really thank my learning team for getting me through. I mean, I re we talk about the case method and learning team a bit, but you don't recognize until your first year student how much of a learning team can impact your experience with the case method. And I really, I have individuals on my team um, who were, you know, particularly, you know, particularly one who were so thoughtful with their time and understanding and really spent hours with me one-on-one -on -one to explain the finance or accounting concepts that I, I really just couldn't get on the first try or second or maybe third. <laughs> and I very much thank them for helping me pull through. And then of course, once it, Q1 was under my belt, Thank God I passed my exams. I felt more comfortable being here at Darden and understood what it meant to succeed here and gain that sort of confidence as well. And um, I very, again, something going back to, you know, students and what it means there, you really have some thoughtful and, you know, really kind students who want, are, are more motivated to, help student help their peers learn and grow versus just getting the best grade again that's a general statement so of course you know there's caveats to what i shared too but i i really found that it's much more of a helpful person in the academic setting to help their peers succeed versus you know getting the best grade and having that glory just for that one individual was that a shift for you to have to work with a group of people to prepare for class or be prepared for class absolutely Yes. Uh, in my undergraduate, it was mostly individual, especially because I was doing in international relations in French. A lot of it was just papers. So that's typically individual work. And so to, you know, have to do, you know, financial modeling and 
accounting and you know data analysis and things like that that relying upon a group you know getting a different perspective and opinions about how to do so and you know having them you know to explain why you chose that direction versus others those were again th those were new ways in which to approach to work yeah, my, my sense from talking with students is that psychologically can be a little bit challenging because you've, you've kind of known, maybe it comes down to control, maybe it comes down to just the way that you know school and all of a sudden you're having to ask for help in yes. a lot of different directions. And uh, that it, that's a lot to take on when you're a brand new business school student, but yet it's essential to the learning experience. Absolutely, yes. So, okay, so you get to settled as a as a first year MBA student here at Darden. You're learning through the case method. Um, you mentioned the case method as being one of the things that led you to Darden. Um, now you're a participant in this learning experience. How, how do you explain the case method to people who don't know as much about it? Absolutely. Uh, yes. Here's how I explain it is that, and Brett, I'm going to have you volunteer with me with this. And so let's just say, you know, you, Brett, you and I are on a learning team together. Tomorrow we've got class. I'm going to prepare the marketing case. I'm going to read, you know, the 10 to 12 pages of text, maybe a supplemental note, and then I'm going to answer the question. It's going to take me about two to three hours. You're going to take the finance case. You have a background in finance. You're comfortable with it. So you're going to go ahead and spend two to three hours preparing the finance case. Maybe I've had a chance to read the finance case. Maybe I've not. Because again, Darden is very busy in terms of all the recruiting and social things I have to do. So again, I'll hopefully get to skim it, but maybe that may not be the case. We'll meet together at seven o'clock tonight. I will spend about 30 to 45 minutes going ahead and explaining the marketing case to you. And you're going to do the same thing with a finance case for me. We're going to go to class the next day and I will have been briefed enough on finance where I know enough what's going on so then I can then participate in the discussion I can ask questions, and if I'm cold called, which does happen at Darden, <laughs> I will be able to be competent enough to explain the case to my peers and lead the discussion with the professor. All right. So um, I imagine that's a process that you got better at over the course of, of the core curriculum, just getting ready for class, having a sense of what it took to be prepared and reading those cases. Did, you get, did it get faster? Did it get quicker? It did. It absolutely did. It also, you just, not only did the concepts become a bit easier, but you just knew what to expect. You knew how your professors were going to open. You knew what kind of questions they were looking for as well. And so, and it also, I, I truly do think that, you know, the, the case method really puts an emphasis on, you know, discussion and getting different opinions. And I also want to shed light that it also very much lends itself to asking questions. And something that I did gain was the confidence to ask questions and to clarify. And I, that is equally important, I feel, with having those questions be more explained versus just showing and putting opinions back and forth as well. I appreciate that point about questions, because oftentimes when we talk with prospective students about the case method, they they seem to go towards, all right, I got to be able to like solve this problem or offer the, the right answer or something like that. But when you sit through class or you talk with students about their experience, they make the point that you just made that oftentimes I mean, these 60, 65 people in a class discussion or so, um, lots of different perspectives, lots of different backgrounds. You know, some right. people may be following a particular discussion. Other people may have questions and just asking the question can sometimes be a huge service to the other people in the room. Because if you have the question, chances are 
other people have the question and, and that can also be a way to contribute to the discussion. You're exactly correct. Yes. It's how many times have I been, you know, grateful that someone asked a clarifying question in some sort of setting. And then that led to, again, more deeper understanding of really what the core question or concept that it was that we were talking about in class. So yes, completely agree with your point. So what section were you uh, for your first year? I was section A. Okay. All right. Well, we've been interviewing the section reps for uh, for the various sections. It's been fun just to hear about the norms and what they enjoy about their role and, and being mm -hmm. a section rep. Um, do you have a favorite norm from your time in Section A or something y'all did as a section that really stands out from your experience? <laughs> it is. Um, I have I have two uh, things that come to mind. One, it, the first one is, and again, related to questions and talking. When you're in class, you know, yes, of course, it's important to take notes. It's also really important to listen. And so we have this norm that we, you know, tried to do best of our abilities to follow in section A is when someone was talking, you know, we would, you know, turn our head and give them our attention to show that we were, you know, taking a break from whatever it is that we were typing or writing on our desk to show that I am listening to you, I have your attention as well. And again, I really find that that is a sign of respect to show people that, you know, no matter what it is that they're saying, question, comment, you know, hot take, you know, you are there to listen to them as well. And then the second thing that we did in section, which was a, you know, a really thoughtful tradition was that during Q2, which it's a dark period for a lot of first years with, you know, classes and frequently recruiting uh, is very heavy at that point in time. Um, we had some individuals lead an exercise where every Thursday we, you know, every student would get a little card on their desk and it was typically anonymous and it was a an, an few words, um, it was words of encouragement and, you know, very nice things to say to one another. So Brett, you know, you could receive a card on your desk and say, Brett, I really appreciate the hard work that you do to put together these podcasts. Keep up the good work. And so then you would receive that every week, typically from a different student because the handwriting was different. <laughs> but I don't know who it was, but it typically was someone different. And then you, those were cards that just helped lift you up when recruiting can be at a very challenging time for students. I appreciate that. Yes, that is a challenging time. Q2, just a lot going on. Right. Um, and you know, you're you're still a relatively new student at that point. You're just one quarter in navigating your second quarter. So very full plate at that point. That's such a nice, nice norm just to recognize each other and to say, you know, you're doing a great job with this. Uh, this this kind of compliments and encouragement, I imagine, go a long way at that time. Absolutely. You're exactly correct. All right. So um, you have spent uh, part of your second year here uh, studying abroad. And right. I'm curious, you mentioned you came to Darden with the idea of studying abroad. Mm -hmm. How did you know um, that you wanted to study abroad? Definitely from my time, you know, the various experiences I had in Paris, I wanted to study abroad, but this is also something that I had been preparing for. And, you know, I knew that I wanted to be away only for two months, excuse me, one quarter of the year versus two quarters. Again, your business school experience is only two years long. So that felt a bit long to me to miss a fourth of it. I really wanted to go for this, you know, two quarter period. It I wanted to understand more. What was it like to be at an international business school? How are the classes similar and different? 
how were the students going to be and what were sort of their motivations for wanting to do this school? How are they leverage, leveraging the degree? And again, have, you know, kind of more cultural experience as well outside the classroom in another country. So those were reasons for which I had wanted to study abroad. And of course, given my love for Paris and speaking French, I knew that that was where I wanted to go. So HUC Paris was the only place that I had applied to because that was really where my heart was set. And very much fortunately, uh, everything worked out and I was able to study at HEC Paris for January and February of 2023. How does the how do the mechanics of the study abroad process work? Uh, when do you have to decide that this is something that you want to do and mm -hmm. assume you apply? Um, most of our listeners, this might be completely new to them. Would you mind walking us through uh, the process? Absolutely. It You decide, I would say, uh, the core, you know, six months in advance. So given that I studied abroad in January and February of 2023, I had to apply in September of 2022, right? So about six months in advance. The application process is really a, nothing much at all here at Darden. Uh, simply what it is is that you're given a form and you rank your choices. So again, HEC one, everything else zero for me, though you do have the opportunity to you know rank other programs. And then, as I understand, the you know study abroad office puts people's bids in an Excel randomizer, and the you know two people whose names spit out uh, from this Excel randomizer get to go. And that is the extent of which uh, you apply to the program. So it is really quite a bit of luck. Uh, there's nothing more to it. You are given the opportunity to either accept or decline your your, your nomination within two weeks of knowing this. So this would be late September. And then throughout October, November, you're in communication with your partner school. So in this case, HC Paris to sign up for classes, learn if you need to have any travel documents or visas in place, and then just get everything all lined up. And then you ship out <laughs> in late December, early January uh, for your program. Were there any other Darden students there with you? Uh, for HEC, no, I was the only Darden student. So tell us, what was that like? So you are going, you know, to another country, uh, a city that you're familiar with, a place that you're familiar with, certainly, but you're showing up January uh, for a couple months of school. What was that like being a brand new student? It's a lot of fun. <laughs> I was, you know, I was pretty lucky that HEC Paris with a, uh, with a cohort that I was in has 160 students and there are 45 who were exchange students just like me. Uh, mostly from American business schools. So from there, we were a fourth of the students who were there. So I really did have quite a few people who were in my same shoes that I could definitely get to know. But also since I uh, the classes themselves were pretty small at agency, I got to know you know quite a bit of the other students as well. And I just was really found people to be very friendly and you know welcoming as well. So I do feel at the end of my two months, I got to know both exchange students and current HEC students too. Tell us about the class experience. What classes did you take and what was class like um, I, uh, there? I'd see, I took three classes. I, again, that was going back to my preparation. To be really honest is that I knew that I wanted to take the minimum amount of classes possible to you know, really maximize my time in Paris. And that had been something that I had really loaded up on classes at Darden, my Q1 and Q2 with there to then have this time. So of the three classes that I took, uh, the first class was a cognitive neuroscience and marketing class. 
The second class was technology innovation strategy. And the third class, which was my favorite, was a four day seminar in rural, rural France at a monastery. And we talked about business ethics with a monk and different business leaders in France. Wow. Um, what was that? Uh, I mean, I'm interested in all of these classes. I, this is a bit of a naive question, but I'm going to ask it. Um, I assume the instruction was in French? Oh, uh, good question. No, actually, um, all the classes at HC Paris, the MBA program, are all in English. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you, you show up there. And, and so tell us about this business ethics class. So you go to a monastery, uh -huh. with a monk. I mean, what what did you discuss during this class? Mm -hmm. It was, goodness, you had to take three trains in a 30-minute taxi to get to this town of 15 people <laughs> in you know, very, again, very rural central France. And during the four days, it was about business ethics. So yes, this was a monk. So you know, that does have a religious connotation to it. Uh, this class was not denominational in any sorts of means. It was again very much more of um. What's the word that I'm looking for? Uh, no religious connotation to the ethics that we were we discussed. And so we were given a pamphlet of ways in which to approach ethics. So talking about what is ethics, defining it, uh, ways in which to approach different ethical issues. Then we brought up personal experiences of, you know, questions that we had with ethics that we wanted, you know, the father and then the students in the room to discuss. And then, of course, the business leaders who had joined us also shared their own perspectives of dealing in, with ethical issues and how they went about them as well. So very heavy discussion-based four-day seminar. But I'd also share, too, is that we all, like, we had such wonderful lunches and dinners. I mean, really, like, the food was great. <laughs> and we were very wonderful. And I also feel, too, like that time we sat at the table with my other peers, there was only 13 of us. And like getting to know them and their stories and backgrounds it was just equally, a, a, you know, an enriching experience in addition to discussing ethics for four days. I imagine that was interesting, just given that you had already had a fair amount of ethical, you know, coursework, taking business ethics. Obviously, there's a lot of ethics in the Darden classroom, generally, whatever class you're taking. What was what was that like to come from that experience, the Darden core, stakeholder theory, the orientation here, right. and to be part of those discussions um, in France? Mm -hmm. You know, I was, even with the the exchange students and the agency Paris students that was there, I was the only one who had had ethics be part of their core curriculum as well and um, everyone was pretty for them it was their first time taking an ethics class as well and so I found them to, to my ethics experiences to be both similar and different I found that the definitions I got for ethics which is again is how both of my ethics courses have been taught were both different <laughs> and so that as you can see if you have two definitions of ethics which again different but not you know very very different that then can orient how ethics is approached. And so with, you know, Darden ethics, you have the four traditions, which is, and then you could develop a framework of four to six questions to ask yourself, you know, when doing a ethical decision. Uh, it, it, at this class that I'd taken, we actually had four different levels. And then if you were going to have an ethical situation, you were then recommended, okay, how does it affect the self? How does it affect the team? How does it affect the corporation? How does it affect society? 
And so there was, it was a different way in which of thinking about ethics. And I just, I, I really thought that was interesting uh, to use that as a way to complement what I learned at Darden. That's awesome. So what else uh, was on your bucket list or things that you wanted to make sure you were going to do in this two month period while you were studying at HEC? <laughs> I'd say first and foremost, I was go to a PSG soccer game. I've been playing soccer for 20 years, played in college, but very much involved in the Darden Soccer Club. And I really wanted to go see Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe play soccer. I'll be completely honest with you. And so I was able to do that uh, while I was there. It's also an awesome, a truly awesome game uh, with Messi as well. I there had been um, I had wanted to see the catacombs of Paris. I wanted to see a chateau called Fontainebleau um, out in the suburbs as well. And it was for me, given that I'd been to Paris, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a, a lot of experience in Paris. I had felt like I had seen a lot already. And so I didn't feel this rush or this urge to like get up early in the morning and go to all the museums. No, it was very much for me a relaxing time. I woke up leisurely. I did things in the morning and then I would go to, you know, an ex exhibition or to a park and really take my time and really savor where I was and check off these little things I had not gotten to yet in, in my bucket list too. And that was for me just this really relaxing, but also very present time in my life. I had been planning for this for eight years. Every day to me was carpe diem, seize the day, make the most of it. So when people say, oh, two months, that must have gone really fast for you. It actually didn't. It actually went by a relatively at a normal, slow pace because it was really being present in each day that I was there. That just sounds so nice. So two months comes to an end. Uh, you come back to the U.S. When you reflect on uh, this study abroad experience, what what do you feel like it added to your Darden experience? Goodness, what? Um, I typically find that when you go away and you experience another situation, or even just business school in this context of your question. It, you realize what you maybe have taken for granted at Darden and can make you more appreciative of what you have as well. It also, of course, can show you what you know could be done differently. But I would say that I was very grateful for all of the initiatives and events that both the students and the staff put on for Darden as well. I mean, really like the work that goes into planning all events and bringing our community together. That was something that I was appreciative for. I was very appreciative for the classroom experience. It's uh, it's, it's not really case-based at HEC Paris. And there's so much more of an emphasis at Darden with classroom discussions and different points of view and really back and forth with the professor and the students. And that was something I really missed uh, when I was at HEC. So something again, I'm very grateful for too. And um, those are both the two things that come to mind. Well, tell us about your second year generally. You know, first year, there's a lot going on. You come off that summer. We talked about studying abroad, but is there anything else that jumps out to you as a highlight of your of your second year? Yes. I did Darden Stories in December, and I can go ahead and explain a, a bit more what it is, Brett, if you're not familiar as well. So Darden Stories is a platform that takes place in every other week, and it is where two students 
both first year, second year, come and they share their story for 30 minutes. And typically you're not announced who it is. So again, you know, Fred, if you were to come to Darden Stories, you wouldn't know that I was doing it. You would just come to listen and support a story. And again, it's a place where anyone can tell any sort of story, but it's again, a way in which to build community and personal connections to one another. And uh, I, I was asked to do it. And so I did it in, in December. I can tell you a little bit about it uh, for that as well. Um, you know, people really tell like really deeply personal stories. It can really everything from tragedy to hardship and things along those lines. And when I was thinking about telling my story, I wanted to a bit of challenge myself. I wanted to tell a funny story. And so something I was trying to think about what what is it that I could talk about that would make really a group of 70 to 80 people who maybe not know me very well, make them, how can I make them laugh? And how can I make them connect with me and enjoy my story? So, well, so sort of, if you really think about it, it was more like a, how can I do a 30 minute stand-up comedy routine <laughs> and really get people to resonate with, with that when you, using comedy and humor. And so um, I decided to, uh, I talked a bit about some um, personal life experiences I had um, working with professional dating coaches. And you can just see right there, like, you know, talking about dating. Uh, it, it, you're smiling right now. I know it's a podcast, but I can share there. It just, it gets a reaction out of people just like it did for you here. And I use that as a, as my story. And it just got such really positive, warm reactions from it as well. And um, it's one of the most favorite things I've done in Darden. How did you decide that you wanted to take that leap and, and participate in Darden Stories? Because I really enjoy public speaking. And that's one of my, you know, apart from French, which is when I've learned it, you know, the last 20 years, I really have enjoyed the public speaking classes I've taken at Darden. And I knew that from the feedback that I gotten from professors and even my students, I mean, my peers, excuse me, I can be a strong public speaker. You know, I could really get drive a point home and, you know, be intense about it. But I really wanted to work on coming off as a bit warmer. And then I also saw comedy in a public setting as a next new challenge and next new frontier that I wanted to better evolve my public speaking skills. And given that in Darn Stories is, is such a, goodness, it, it, it has such like a place within building community at Darden again, those two different facets for me really spoke to me like this was something I really wanted to do. And so did a lot of preparation work for it. I really, really prepared a lot for that 30 minutes to talk. But again, it was, it was so much fun to tell and to see people's laugh <laughs> throughout my story and give them something to smile about. And so that made me very happy to do it. Did you know that you had this passion for public speaking before coming to Darden? Yes, I, I did. I, I've been doing, I did acting in high school, a little bit in college. And I, and even I had the opportunity before Darden to give a speech in front of 500 people at my last company. And I really liked it a lot. And it was something where this is a, you know, a skill, a passion I have. And so I wanted to very much evolve that here at Darden. And it's, each time that I get the chance to go up and speak, I always learn something new and I always feel that I get incrementally better with it each time.
You mentioned taking some classes around public speaking at Darden. Is there one that stands out uh, that you'd want to mention here? I can tell you one. I can tell you about a speech that I gave uh, that the, the focus of the class wasn't public speaking, but the class period was on public speaking. And this class, which Brett, I have to thank people have talked to you about, uh, but for you know those who have not heard of it, it is Pass the Power. Yeah, Brett is taking a set. He's heard of this class. It's again, it's a very famous Darden class taught by Peter Balmy, who is wonderful. And it's all about how ways in which to gain power, you know, within a corporate organization. And of course, we all can recognize that speaking with power is so important for a leader to convince his or her followers or constituents or employees of the direction of a vision of change and have them follow. And so for this particular class that Peter had, he brought in an acting coach, Denise Stewart, who works at, you know, at UVA. And the two of them led a class on public speaking. And they were randomly chose three individuals to go up and give a speech. We were all 70 asked to give a speech, but they were only going to select three people. And uh, fortunately, I was one of them who was chosen to go up and give a, a speech of about five minutes to the classroom. And I, I talked about a conversation uh, in my relationship with my father. It was a topic of what I talked about. And uh, it was just you know being that personal again as I talked about wanting to come off a bit more warm and personal and opening up about uh, you know a family member really allowed me to connect with the audience better than I had in previous speeches that I had given at Darden as well and the tips that Denise gave me were awesome as well so so that given that class that I'd taken I took a class with her at the Batten Institute at UVA in the fall to even further my cup of speaking with her directly. Wow. So just an impromptu speech. I said, Natalie, come up here. You're going to have five minutes. Persuade us. I was given, we were all given 24 hours to do it. Yes. But that was it. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, um, I wonder what you're looking forward to in the months ahead. You got a few more uh, months until graduation, at least a couple mm -hmm. here recording this in early March. I wonder um, what's, what are you looking forward to doing, you know, before graduation rolls around? Goodness, um, I am very lucky that tomorrow I am getting back on a plane <laughs> and I am going on a Darden Worldwide course to Bahrain, which is an island off of Saudi Arabia. And I am very looking forward to having this experience in a brand new country and really region of the world for me to be with my peers and learn about how business is conducted in Bahrain and more generally in the Middle East. So again, very much looking forward to that as well. And then for these past so these weeks coming ahead, I, I'm looking forward to being present with my classmates. I'm looking forward to doing some activities, you know, for some final things here and there. For me, um, different from my peers, but very much my own story, I am job searching. So that's something that um, didn't give that much attention to in France, <laughs> understandably so, but now in March, it is very top of mind as well to find my next path afterwards. So it's going to be this, this line that I walk between, you know, needing to find a job and then also being present socially with my peers this final time. How did you, I mean, what attracted you to the Bahrain trip? Um, that sounds super interesting. Oh, yes, uh, it very much is. And that is, is that 
I had taken a class with the professor at June West and really just loved her, you know, personality and ways in which that she conducted her class on communication. And I also knew that she had deep relationship and experiences within this particular country working with you know, leaders in various sectors. So when I was thinking about my different DWC options, I thought to myself, what if a once in a lifetime opportunity to go to a country that candidly I would typically visit as a tourist <laughs> and to go to Bahrain and see how business conducted there in very much a business lens versus a tourist lens. And I, this was an opportunity that I just couldn't pass down uh, again to be with June and to be, see how business is conducted in this country. And so it was uh, it was my top choice and I was very lucky to get it. And we leave tomorrow with about 30 students and we'll be there for one week. Yeah, I, It might be a lot to ask you to share a highlight or two or something you're looking forward to from the itinerary. Is there just to give people a flavor of what you might be doing on this DWC, do you, do you remember anything from the yeah, schedule? It is. We are, you know, meeting with um, actually some very high-ranking U.S. military officials, as there is a base in Bahrain. We are meeting with the head of the Chamber of Commerce in Bahrain. We're meeting with some oil executives. We're meeting with some uh, women who help with, you know, female employment empowerment in Bahrain as well. And then, like other DWCs. Yes, of course, the focus is, you know, business, but they're also, they give you, they do set up some, you know, cultural activities as well. So I know that we are going to visit the, you know, the Grand Souk Market of Bahrain. We're going to visit a, um, a mosque as well. And uh, to, again, to both kind of count, show you a more holistic um, picture of Bahrain versus just business. So we're really excited for those experiences too. Well, Natalie, last question for you. I, I wonder if there's a piece of advice you would share with our prospective students who are listening to this episode, uh, thinking about their own MBA journeys. Mm -hmm. I would very much take advantage of the international experiences that come your way. You know, over the course of our conversation, we've talked about DWCs, Jargon Worldwide Courses. We've talked about studying abroad and how wonderful and enriching that experience can be. And there's also, you know, something else is that there are opportunities to travel with the different breaks and just Darden being international, you know, business school, you know, many of my international peers have thought about trips back to their home countries to show, you know, their uh, peers what it's like to be from there. And that is something that there really are unique once in a lifetime experiences. So these opportunities that Darden does give you to travel both in a formal setting and informally with friends is something that I highly recommend that prospective students take advantage of because they're truly memorable and, and life-changing experiences. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was so much fun talking about your study abroad experience and all the great things that you've done during your time at Darden. Um, best of luck as you, as you close out your, your second year and uh, so appreciate your sharing your story with our listeners. Super. Thank you very much, Brett. And that was my conversation with Natalie Barbarisi, a second year student in our full-time MBA class of 2023. As always, if you have any comments, suggestions, requests, anything you'd like for us to cover here on the podcast, we're all ears. We can be reached at Darden, that's D-A-R-D-E-N, at virginia.edu. Until next time, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.